Join me in Genesis chapter 1, please. This morning I want to begin a series of messages entitled The Color of Church. I'm borrowing that title from a book by Rodney Wu, uh, the former pastor of Wilcrest Baptist Church and now the International Baptist Church of Singapore. Uh, and uh, this morning I want to deliver the first installment of these, Why Humans? Why did God create humans? I want to answer that question with the subject of race relations in the United States uh, in view this morning. I fear where race relations are today in the United States. I am particularly concerned as the father of four children and as a pastor. And I fear complication of the issue by those with political motives. I want to say from the very outset that fearlessly and uh, faithfully, Beach Haven Baptist Church will declare Jesus Christ is the only hope for the races. And that's where we shall stand. This is an important topic because if we were to reduce the world by its racial uh, percentages down to a village or town of a thousand people, it would consist of 564 Asians, 210 Europeans, 86 Africans, 80 South Americans, and 90 North Americans. Well, that pretty well puts it into perspective, does it not? In many ways. This is the world in which we live. Now, in every one of those categories, there are not only races, but there are a variety of ethnicities. And most of the difficulty in the world, by the way, despite the impression left by the news media, is not really between races. Most of the difficulty is between different ethnicities of the same race around the world. Around the world, for my soul, since World War II, there have been at least 40 different conflicts, constantly and persistently, mostly between ethnic groups, people of the same race, but subcategories of that. But I'll say about races and ethnicities what Abraham Lincoln said about common people. And that is, God must love them because he made so many of them. And that's what we find in Genesis chapter 1. I believe Beach Haven Baptist Church can be a bright and shining light in regard to these issues. At the very beginning and outset of Beach Haven's history, she decided her door would be open to all people who would come and worship God at Beach Haven. In fact, there was an early deacons meeting where this was discussed and some of our deacons came up with some inventive and creative measures to make others from other races feel comfortable at Beach Haven. It's in our history and published there. And for nearly 30 years, the membership of Beach Haven Baptist Church has been integrated and shall be if we have anything to say about it, and the Lord certainly does. I believe that we can be on the forefront of manifesting the love of God in the world among the races. Beginning January 2016, I want to ask you to do several things. Number one, I want to ask you by that time to create a plan to make more friends from all races and ethnicities and spend 2016 making friends with someone of a different race or ethnicity. In fact, include your own in that. Second, pray for the gospel to advance among all races 
and ethnicity. This needs to be a matter of prayer. It is very difficult to dislike or hate someone you're praying for. Third, participate in discipleship training on Wednesday nights at 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock. If you like the 4 o'clock service so well, come at 6 o'clock as well. We'll give you a double-barrel dosage of it. But on Wednesday nights, we engage in discipleship, and we will be addressing these issues, supplemental issues and ancillary issues, to this topic beginning in January. We'll give you more information on that later. And then finally, support with tithes and offerings Beach Haven Baptist Church as we seek to reach the entire community for Jesus Christ. It is a sweet and it's a noble thing to go throughout our region and to speak to people of my own race and other races and say, Beach Haven Baptist Church is a church that is open to the entire community. And people get it. And they understand what I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter 1, Moses records that God literally created the human race. Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. God created all humans, including all of those of other races and ethnicities, for several purposes. And the first is this. God created humans to exhibit the Trinity. God created humans to exhibit or express the Trinity. Verse 26 is a marvelous, wonderful, mysterious text. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God there is speaking in the plural about the Godhead. Now some have speculated that when he says our in us, he's speaking to angels. The problem with that is that angels never created anything. (coughs) And humans are made according to the image and the likeness of God, not the image and likeness of angels. And so God is speaking within the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this text. The subject is plural, the verb tense here, or excuse me, the verb number here is plural. And so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, without completely revealing the identity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is manifesting a great cooperation in a unified venture. What a marvelous model we have for relationships with one another in the Trinity of God. In John chapter 17, Jesus speaks of this. And there he cries out to the Father for the Father to give him glory that he had before the world was and to unify the disciples as he and the Father were unified and that there would be the kind of intense love between them and their relationship with Christ and the Father that there is between the Father and the Son. So the Trinity becomes a great model for relationships on the earth. And Wilcrest Baptist Church in Houston modeled this. Rodney Wu went there as pastor in 1992 and pastored there 17 years. And he came with the intentional vision of establishing a multinational, multiracial, multiethnic, 
and he jokes, multi-mental congregation there in that place in southwest Houston. The community had gone through enormous transition, and the church was in serious decline. And so they labored and struggled to open the door to all all of those in the community, and they were very effective. When Rodney left in uh, 2007, I believe, there were more than 40 nationalities represented in worship services under one roof, exalting the Lord. Well, a film crew and a uh, movie producer, documentary producer, got wind of what was taking place at Wilcrest, and they sent a film crew there, and they began to film and created a story about Wilcrest Baptist Church. And the film crew was stunned by what they saw in worship. What they saw is that they saw the races sitting together with one another. There was not a Filipino section over here and a Slavic section over here and an Anglo section here, Hispanic and Chinese there, and and African American here. There were no sections at all. The races in worship were not divided as they are in the continents. They were all sitting amongst one another like you are today. In fact, I don't know if you saw me sitting in the choir loft this morning, but I did, and I was watching you in order to make a point. And that's not all. They also uh, not only sat together and mixed with one another in worship, but when they greeted one another, they greeted each other with enthusiasm and with love and intensity, as you might see in a single-race church where they knew each other. And that's how they greeted one another. And thank God, that's how you did it this morning as well. That models the Trinity of God. Whatever the relationship is between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, church, it's to be that way here. And we're to be satisfied with nothing less than the love of God shared amongst one another. And that is the way the church is to operate itself. I will tell you, by the way, as an aside, the Trinity is especially enthused about Jesus Christ. The Father and Son exalt Him with great power. And great joy in all of heaven is focused upon Him. And whenever the church is like that, my friends, that's the kind of love and unity that can permeate a place. Jesus Christ is the hope for the races. And He is in this day. He always has been. And He always will be. So God created humans to exhibit the Trinity. But there's a second purpose. And that is God created humans to exercise royalty. Now this surfaces in a way that might be subtle to 21st century eyes and ears. But in verse number 26 and 27 and 28, uh, you find at least two items here that make this very clear. Well, let me subdivide them into three. One, let us make man in our image, number one, according to our likeness, number two, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc. The image was used in this time that Moses wrote and by kings throughout the centuries as a boundary marker for the king's kingdom. Wherever the king had a kingdom, and as far as it extended, he would erect and set up his image somewhere in the earth. And there, that would mark, his image would mark the boundaries of his kingdom. Well, Adam and Eve here, and you and I by extension, are in the image of God. We are to mark the boundaries of the king's kingdom. So wherever you find human beings... They are to indicate the extent of the kingdom of God. And that's why it's so important for all people to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ and give their hearts and lives to Him because outside of Christ, we do not advance the kingdom of God. We'll have more to say about that later. 
So they're made in His image as boundary markers of the kingdom. Then they're made in His likeness. They are to be like God. They're not God, of course, but they're to be like Him. They are to resemble Him. And God is a king, and He demonstrates that sovereignty here in the first chapter. But there's a third item here as well. In verse number 26, did you see it? Let them have dominion. I guess that would be a third thing. And then let them have dominion over. Over. Did you count how many times the word over was used in this text? From verse 26 and 27 and 28, the word over, to be above, is used no fewer than eight times. I think the New International Version has just limited it to five, but in the Hebrew text, it is eight times. It is emphatic in this text. In other words, friends, God created human beings as royals. They are to be members of the royal family. God created you and me to assist Him on this earth in ruling the earth. And He has dispatched us all over the earth to rule and to take care of the earth according to His will. So you, when you and I meet one another or someone else, we are meeting royalty. We, we do not meet a redneck. And I hope you'll not use that kind of language for other people. But we don't meet a redneck. We meet a royal. We do not meet an Hispanic. We meet a royal. We do not meet an Asian. We meet a royal. We do not meet a black American or an African. We meet a royal. We do not meet a student. We meet a royal. We do not meet a privileged 1%. We meet a royal. We do not meet a traditionalist. We meet a royal. We do not meet a senior adult. We meet a royal. We do not meet someone who prefers a coat and tie. We meet a royal. We do not uh, meet someone who prefers to be tatted up. We meet a royal. We do not meet a hipster. We meet a royal. We do not meet a poor person on welfare. We meet a royal. We do not meet a wealthy person with differing politics. We meet a royal. We do not meet an infant. We meet a royal. We do not meet an embryo or a fetus in the womb who should be subject to abortion. We meet a royal is what we meet. Every human being we meet is a royal. Every man is at least a prince and every female is a princess. Whenever we meet one another, we are meeting a royal. And therefore, our behavior and interaction with them of all races and ethnicities should be accordingly and done accordingly to etiquette and protocol before God. Now, I want to caution something here real quickly. I am not saying that all social and cultural practices are equal. They are not. And whenever we object to certain social and cultural practices, that does not make us racist and bigoted. Oh, it's entirely possible to be that way. But differing views does not necessarily qualify someone as racist or bigot. For example, when I say that the best environment in which to raise children is a mom and daddy family, that is not a racist or bigoted statement. It is a wise and true statement. The problem, however, would arise whenever, whenever we assume a child from a single parent family is inferior. That would be prejudiced, and we don't do that. On one hand, we stand on the side of the truth. On the other hand, we stand with grace as well. Now, I want you to turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3, and I want to explore this idea of the image even more. 
In fact, the New Testament picks up the image language in a half dozen places. And one of the most pronounced, especially in relationship to our subject this morning, is Colossians chapter 3. And it's interesting the context in which Paul mentions the image of God, which he's announcing here is the image of Christ. Chapter 3 of Colossians in verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And so he's talking about human relationships here. And now he gets into the divine in verse number 10. And have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him. See, there's that language again from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. According to the image of him who created him. Where, back to the human, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So part of being in the image of God is knowing that when you meet others, you are meeting others who are royals, just as you are, and we treat them accordingly. There's a third purpose why God created humans, and that is to extend the monarchy. When God created the heavens and the earth, He created a world in order to give His Son, Jesus Christ, a place to rule. He created the heavens and the earth for Christ's kingdom as a monarchy. And He dispatched Adam and Eve to rule it, to be fruitful, to multiply, to cover the earth, that the king's boundaries might extend further and further. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, this is what we find here. He's created them, and then in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, have children, and with them fill the earth and subdue it, and then have dominion. God created us to extend His rule and not someone else's. So when it comes to every issue of life, the rule of the kingdom of God has got to be number one. Now, I don't mean to annoy anybody, and I sure hope I won't. But I have a particular view when it comes to Christians and politics and to what party they should belong. I do. And I want to encourage you and say to you, your first commitment is always to the kingdom of God if you name the name of Christ, not necessarily your party's platform. Now, where your party's platform converges with the kingdom of God, thank God. But for right now, I would encourage you, where your party's platform diverges from the will of God, stay in your party and battle for it to conform to the will of God. Ladies and gentlemen, Christians should never battle one another over political parties. They should be unified in the kingdom of God, just like our missionaries are. Do you know our missionaries to Zambia never battle with our missionaries to Southeast Asia and China? No, they carry the same message. They enter into that same place. Now, if you don't appreciate the candidate, you can vote for someone else in a different party. And quite frankly, I think probably a lot of them we should. I understand that. But our missionaries do not battle one another just because they go to different countries. The political parties are much like different countries. Get into them and battle for the will of God. That does not mean you have to necessarily vote for a certain party. Oh, no. In this nation, you're free to vote for whoever you will. But the point is this. Just like our missionaries enter different countries 
with the same message and the same standards, we enter into the political parties and communicate the same message and the same standard, and we do so with vigor and with heart, with soul, and with faithfulness, no matter the cost. That's what we do, because we're more concerned about conforming to Jesus Christ than we are to any political party. Jesus Christ is Lord, not the political party. And that's where we stand on that. And so that is what God intends for us to do, to extend His monarchy. So let me put it to you this way. If God created all humans and all races and ethnicities to extend His monarchy, that means this. When you and I encounter someone else from another race or an ethnicity or even our own, we are encountering someone who is not useless. We're not encountering someone who makes us feel uncomfortable. We are encountering someone who is usable to Jesus Christ. And that is true of you. That is true of all others. All of us can extend the monarchy of, of uh, Almighty God. Now, it's a marvelous thing as you read through Genesis and on through the rest of the Scripture. Often God does this through what? Well, what happens with Adam and Eve after this? Well, the Scripture says in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve as wife and bore Cain and bore Abel and bore Seth. And so a family came to be. And then we see the family, of course, of Noah and his three sons that repopulated the earth after the flood. And then we find Abraham. And so much of the story and narrative of Abraham is wrapped up in the birth of one son, Isaac. And then Isaac is married. And he has two sons. And then Jacob is married. He's got 12. And on and on we find through the Scripture that God ends up developing and expanding and growing His kingdom by families. And so sustaining and strengthening families is a priority in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not suggesting, dear friends, that our church start a dating service. But praying for singles to marry right should rank high on our prayer list. All families, then, are royal families. They are members of the royal family. And preservation of marriages and family has got to be an utmost priority. And the welfare system in the United States must take note of that. Ladies and gentlemen, it is wrong, wrong, wrong for a couple to lose their welfare benefits just because they get married. That is not right. And ladies and gentlemen, that has led to the decimation of poor families all over the nation for about 50 years, and it is a practice that should stop. What do you think people are going to do if they lose financial benefits just because they get married? Well, everyone acts in their own economic self-interest. They're going to stop getting married. Destabilize families and destabilize children and destabilize communities and destabilize schools. That practice should come to an end. It disproportionately hurts the poor. And so God created humans to extend the monarchy. But there's a fourth purpose why God created humans. And that is, God created humans to enjoy priority. Chapter 1, verse 29 we find that God gave Adam and Eve and humanity the plants and herbs and the vegetation of the earth for sustenance. At the end of verse 29, He says to you, it shall be for food. And so, beloved, the earth was made for humans. The environment was made for humans and not the other way around. 
Now, abusing the earth then, therefore, is not an option. That's not to say that that it is. Instead, we manage it in a responsible manner for God, but humans are the priority. And so, when there's a choice between farmers in the Central Valley of California who disproportionately are poor Hispanics and the Delta smelt, a fancy name for a minnow, we choose the poor Hispanic folk to stand by them. When there are federal or state notions of education that are in the way of educating children and disproportionately disadvantaged poor children, we choose the education needs of poor children over federal and state notions. In other words, we've got to be very, very careful that all of creation is used to prioritize the welfare and the benefit of humans. For God, humans are the priority of all created things. They're the priority. Now, I want you to imagine someone coming to me and saying, I, uh, I need for you to give me your son. And I reply, well, um, why? Well, I need to abuse him, I need to hurt him, and eventually I need to kill him. And my reply, of course, is, well, I don't think so. But what if that person was able to convince me, my life is on the line if you don't give me your son in death? And let's imagine that I did. It's unthinkable, but let's just imagine that I did. Is that love? Well, of course it is. Sacrificing a great gift as a child for someone who is sincerely in need. Beloved, as horrible as an illustration as that is, God prioritizes the human race to such an extent that that is precisely what He did not at our bidding, but of His own initiative. 1 John 4.10, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you know that you are a priority with God? Do you know that God has not only stated His love for you, He has gone to the most extreme lengths to prove it and to provide for your forgiveness because He gave His Son to be slaughtered at the cross. That is how much of a priority human beings are with God and that's how much of a priority you are with Him. What do I do with this good news? The Bible says real clearly, just like you've rejected some people and probably unwisely, you reject your life outside of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that repentance and says, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. You reject a life outside of Christ, a life outside the will of God, a life that displeases God, a life where you rely upon your own virtue and goodness to make yourself right with God. In fact, you reject a life that doesn't even consider these things to where the thoughts on the heart and mind of God are the primary thoughts on your own heart and mind. That's where we start is that you reject a life outside of Christ. And then you make a decision to rely only on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves, the Bible says. And if you'll call on God today, you will find He will instantly make you a priority. And you'll see how much of a priority you really are with God by calling on His name today.
Would you quickly stand with me, please, and let's pray. Father, I praise you for the marvelous relationship potential that you demonstrate in the Trinity. Thank you so much for the love with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I thank you for the perfect model for life on earth. And I thank you that the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. I thank you that you have given all humans the status of royalty. Every person is a royal. Thank you that our work can extend your rule. And thank you that you think that we are important when maybe no one else in the world does. But God, we have failed you. And instead of exhibiting the love of the Trinity, sometimes we've exhibited only ourselves in selfishness. We've lived like lower creatures instead of royals. We've extended our own wills and our own kingdoms. And we've neglected some people. We've not treated your people or the things of God with the importance you place upon them. And we manifest these multiplied, unqualified sins in sex. How we spend our words, bitterness, neglect, prejudice, and racism. So God... We stand before you as your creation with desperate need for more grace and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because you and you alone are our only hope. And so I pray today, Father, that friends would reject a life that is outside your will and with a hungry heart embrace a life that's in it. And I pray that they would rely only on Jesus for grace and mercy to help in time of need. Father, I pray that you would use this moment to ignite a fire of change. And whether anyone else ever hears of it or not, I pray that today, in this invitation time, God, you would begin an end to the Satanocracy that destroys families, that divides races, that injures and wounds people, We pray in Jesus' name that this invitation would be that. An ignition switch for change. I pray, God, that this moment would be the time when Anglos do not limit themselves to Anglos and their friendships, but they've got friendships across all races and ethnicities. I pray that this would be a day, God, where you would build families and ignite reunited marriages And the end, oh God, to broken families in our region. Would you ignite that? I pray this would be a day when minds are not merely consumed with things of the earth, but they would begin looking intently, purposefully, relentlessly into the face of Jesus and concentrate on Him, exalt Him. And there'd be no doubt about who our Master and Lord is. Would you use this invitation time for that purpose? Let it be more than a song. Let it be more than a few words. But, oh God, move upon our hearts today and magnify Jesus in it all because God is love. And make that real in this time.
as you continue to pray, friend, let me say to you, God is perfectly prepared to forgive the multitude of your sins. I know you're cringing. I know you're ashamed and embarrassed. But the problem right now is not with God. Jesus Christ took care of the problem God has with you. And God now wants to meet you in grace and love. And I want to invite you to come and meet that today. Step out from where you are. Others will move out of your way. Staff will be standing here in front. In fact, they're coming now. And we want you to meet the grace of God. If we can help you, we want to do that. Maybe you've had some ugliness in your heart towards other people. Outside your race or maybe within your race. Why don't you come? God is perfectly prepared to take responsibility for every need and every heart fully committed to Him. Why don't you come? Make this a different day. This is a day of good news because Jesus Christ is Lord. Why don't you step out and trust that? Tim, I'm going to finish my prayer and I want you to lead us. Okay? Bless your name, O God. Make this fruitful and may Jesus be praised. In His name we pray. Amen. You come. Come in His name. Come.